Hello, Radio Check listeners. Today, we're going to have Keeper interviewing East Coast, and we're going to let it roll old style, long style. Have a good listen. Radio Check, over. Oh, yeah, that was awesome. <laughs> I can't have stickers. I'm one of those freaks that, like, doesn't press the camera. It's tight, honey. It's right That was so rad. <laughs> Considering how badly I beat myself up, it's, I'm pretty I'm pretty happy with the whole thing right now. <laughs> yeah, right. So, hi, East Coast. Hi. Hey. <laughs> How's it going? Thanks for being here today, spending part of your um, pandemic quarantine with us. It's good to have you. I wanted to say, first of all, thanks for coming and being part of our podcast series, Radio Check. Super stoked to get to talk to you. Um, and maybe you could start off by telling us how you landed at Burning Man in the first place and then how you ended up in the Rangers. So the start of the whole game was the year before I had driven a friend of mine that I knew from Boston to San Francisco. Like we'd driven cross country with her and uh, her crayfish and we dropped her off. And then the following year, she started texting me about or texting calling me and telling me this is before all that saying oh she had some friends or going out to the desert and la da da and you know there's this big party and why don't you come out and visit and go yeah that sounds like a good time good invitation so i did i flew out that time didn't drive had to rent a car to get to the playa uh, which was interesting and so (laughs) a bunch of us went in a yeah in a little little minivan the interesting part about the whole story is that this was the year that there were two separate camps and she was part of the rave camp oh wow yeah i didn't so, realize that it was set up that way so back in the yeah, day we really had two separate different. camps yeah it was uh it was the two uh sort of small uh, nodes of activity one was the rave camp and one was the main camp what i refer to as the main camp um, and I also had uh, a cousin who was in the main camp that year. Huh. So I spent a lot of time going back and forth. How far apart were they? This was when they were like a mile apart. I'm pretty sure this was the first year we had that they were bringing in, had encountered this whole thing. I'm not, I don't honestly remember when they moved from Baker's Beach. That was before my time. Mm-hmm. But this was when, you know, Bogman would be sitting, you know, standing with a box of money and a shotgun somewhere on the playa, and you would have to find him, give him money, and then he would tell you where to go. And you couldn't see the camp from the edge of the playa, so without finding him, you would not be able to find. It's, so funny. it's like a scavenger hunt that starts with Bogman, <laughs> yeah. money, and a so, shotgun. Yeah, it, was, it was pretty underground back then. So, um. So yeah, I spent time at both camps. I camped at the rave camp with the curb but I would go over. It was a mile, and 
this was when driving was not as big of a no-no as it is now. So there was a lot of like hitching rides back and forth. Mm-hmm. And I go to the main camp and see, you know, the piercing circus acts and polka side and what did those guys do i mean what were those i've never heard of those camps before those deals before oh um so polka side was a punk rock polka band nice and they were a fucking riot they're really good um so they their main camp had stages um where bands played and you know they had the was it I think it was Flash. Yeah, it was Flash's Hamburger Sand. Yeah, Flash's Hamburger Sand was there. Nice. And um, there were some, like, circus acts. You know, people who were doing, like, um, performance, like, like self-mutilation performance art, kind of, like, you know, sticking skewers through your, your tricep and stuff like that. Like, that was their thing. Uh-huh. Um, and there were, you know, so Main Camp was more of a live band venue. Um, and then Rave Camp, obviously, there was two towers of sound systems that, you know, already were competing. <laughs> <laughs> it's good to know the origins have gone back that far. <laughs> so, yeah, this whole, like, noise interference thing is not new. But were there the rangers problem, on the playa at that time? I mean, I know, Bogman, um, whatever. But there were, definitely was an informal network of people that had radios and skills. You know, danger being one of them, of course. Um, but I don't know if there was an official title for anything yep. anybody did. It was either that year, I think it was the next year, when uh, I returned and got more involved with my cousin, Edward, and we got more involved in the search and rescue. Nice. Uh, and that was, I think, sort of the year that people kind of date rangering as the start of things and it was a handful of people with radios and with vehicles and they would literally go out you know miles into nowhere and drag people <laughs> out of the mud or at least pick them up so they didn't freeze it to death overnight and then go back and get resources and get their vehicles out amazing and stuff like that but yeah there was people just driving willy-nilly all over the place and not everybody knew where they were yeah was it still organized at that time like go find this guy and then get directions from there or were there a little was there a little bit more of a formal system for how to find the event site um i think it was like a small enough number of people that you could face to face with somebody who was in charge and probably danger and get an assignment and then go do it and you would have you know you know that oh so-and-so's got a tow truck on you know on speed dial or whatever i mean obviously there was no cell service but they knew people and they could somebody could run to girl act and find somebody and um you know they you know people would go out and just give them extra fuel sometimes people would just run out of gas and i don't know how they found us Like, or we found them really. Like, it would it would be a while. It would be like one people got in groups, and then somebody would get stuck, or somebody would run out of gas, or something, and then somebody would come back in the camp and be like, "Oh, my friend's way out there somewhere." Yeah. <laughs> Can you go find them? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, as far as you know, medical intervention, that was a different story. I mean, there were some people who were doing crazy things close to camp, and. Um, you could, you know, find them and get them to some sort of help, but um, it wasn't at a level of like, what kind of emergency is it? We hadn't 
sort of broken that down yet. We were like, oh, somebody needs to be dragged back to camp. Okay. Uh-huh. And so that was, that was pretty much it. And, and did you, was, were you guys doing, I mean, like in the non-Burning Man default world, were you doing search and rescue types of things or medical support things yet in your uh, life? Was this kind of well, your yeah. entry into that? Well, at the time, uh, I was an EMT at the time, but yeah. not in Nevada. Right. Um, and there were other people with like wilderness training, some kind of medical first responder training. There were people that had medical training. There were also people that were um, just really good at dragging people out of mud <laughs> 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 or finding people on the fly. I mean, it's a certain amount of, a lot of the, I think a lot of the sort of beginning people are people that went out to the fly on a regular basis not just for the event and you know knew where people get stuck and Uh why and so it was such an interesting like cross-section of skills yeah i mean that was when i mean i rode around with john law a few times and he knew that place like the back of his hand so i think i got to say danger and john law were probably the biggest uh you know sort of spearheaded the whole thing and there's probably other people that i just don't remember who were really good at what they do um I was, I was just sort of like, oh, yeah, I'll get in the truck and go out with you guys. And gee whiz, if somebody needs a splint, I'll take care of that. And, you know, nice. it was kind of, I was definitely sort of a, an, a I don't know, an ex, not an accessory, but like, you know, like, I wasn't telling people where to go. <laughs> I was just like, all right, I'll, I'll come help. Yeah, I'll come help. I'm here to help. I feel like that's kind of a really, I mean, that's yeah. that's a great origin story. That's how a lot of people get drawn to read drinks. Yeah. No, it's quite yet. Point me at something. I'm going to go try to make it better slash not make it worse. And maybe I can. Yeah. No, it was some, there were some serious rescue missions that back in those days before the fencing and all the radar and all that. Right. So. There was no fence at that time. And there were still, mm. were there still weapons a lot of, like the people still showed? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember the drive-by shooting camp or whatever that uh, was? I went through the drive-by shooting. It was with the disgruntled postal workers. Yeah, I went through that a couple times. <laughs> it was really good. It was quite fun. Can you describe but it, it for your all, friends who have no idea what that is? I mean, it wasn't... <laughs> You know, people are like, oh, my God, people are shooting things. I'm like, well, yes, but understand that um, it was heavily monitored. Mm-hmm. It wasn't just, oh, let's go drive out there and shoot things in the middle of the night. No, they would have a meeting and they would be like, okay, we're going to do a drive-by and, you know, parade kind of style. More fun to do it as a group. So they would get people together and set a time yeah just by frog pond there's this split in the road and one of them goes this old junkyard shooting range area right my understanding was that they would put stuffed animals on little posts out there yeah so yeah there was like 20 or so so little stuffed animals like well not little because you had to see them but (laughs) but yeah i forget it was like you know barney the dinosaur and uh, nobody wanted to shoot. There was one that nobody wanted to shoot because they loved the character so much. <laughs> that kind of thing. I would like, guess that was not Barney the Dinosaur. Was, no, no. He's probably like Kermit or something like uh, that. There would be a designated driver driving the car at five miles an hour, you know, do their best to drive like slowly and smoothly so that you, you know, had that carnival ride approach that, you know, you weren't too bounced and, you know, or jerky. Mm-hmm. And uh, they had the car spaced out. Uh, <laughs> probably closer than they should have been but I never really felt like people were, were totally on top of us and you know people would be either like in the 
the bed of the truck or on top of the yard car or, you know, maybe for, maybe in the back seat or something. Uh, yeah, I like trying to shoot as many of the stupid things as I could. <laughs> and, and then we go and parade back camp and have a, have a party. And um, there were some pretty serious artillery out there. I don't, I don't know gun aficionado much. I don't really know much about him. But, yeah, there was definitely, like, some pretty in, enthusiast-type uh, toys out there. That's <laughs> and, awesome. And then uh, the last day, or there was one day where um, somebody – had put a little bit of like explosives in the targets oh. tannerite or something <laughs> make it a little extra fun they would explode <laughs> that's awesome right on i went on a couple times i didn't go much because i don't have, i don't have my own you know gun so i was just kind of like again i was like oh hey this is cool yeah like wow and you know of course some people are like here a little girl Try this one. I was like, okay. <laughs> Boy, good times. The first way that I knew about you was as like one of the founding members of R&R, the Rapid Night Response Team. That yeah. We still have Rangers on Bikes that were there two minutes ago. Um, how did how did you get from drive-by shooting range participant into R&R? And how did that whole thing start? Well, let's see. The second year that I went with my cousin... I camped in the main camp that year with him, and that was the year where we had he responded to the um, the kids that got run over at the raid camp. So Did that, that ended up in a death, or was that a, like the most was, serious medical thing that? That was not a death, but it was like pretty damn close. Like it yep. was like permanently life-altering, like ICU story, like wow. like, like disability, brain disability. Oof. The whole like, but basically, might as well. Yeah. I mean, what year was that? I think that was ninety six. Yeah, okay. it was ninety six, and it was so frustrating because it was the last morning after the burn. It was the morning after the burn. We all like started to like decompress a little bit and be like, okay, we made it through. La di da, everything's gonna be good now. And at eight o'clock in the morning, somebody decided to just not pay attention and ran over a tent in their car. Shit. That's so hard. yeah, that's that was sort of like the first wake up call to hey, what the fuck we're doing is dangerous. So, um, and that was again like the two camps were separate. Mm -hmm. There was a raid camp that got whacked. You know, they were separate from the main camp. You had to ride a bike back and forth, which mm -hmm. you know people did all the time. I don't know. I mean, there were still people driving, but yeah. it wasn't a thing yet this is what really affected that whole like fuck you 10 miles an hour five hour, miles an hour i don't want to hear about it yeah kind of attitude which you know it makes sense absolutely um so i feel like a lot of those things that are you know kind of rules are taken for granted now came from sometimes a real really things. bad story real things yeah. that made the freedom to do whatever the hell you want whenever you want to do it so oh wait it was except for not this no, because that's really right bad. So that was 96. Then 97, we were on um, Fly Ranch. I think that was yep. the year that we yeah. were on Fly Ranch. Got in the wild fight, So yeah. that compacted the whole thing. Because it was a much point. smaller space, right? Yeah. So then everyone's so together. We, yeah. So we were able to regroup and rethink, like, okay, how are we going to do this? Mm -hmm. How are we going to move forward and not create this kind of tragedy? 
And I think maybe that was your mental move, but I'm not sure. Uh-huh. Um, because we were clustering together and there's more interaction. Yeah. And there were as many people as well. I think a lot of people were like, yeah, I don't want to do that. So anyway, I think it was a small attendance in that way. And it was more centralized because we did have, like, at that point, like some kind of in-name kind of rangery type stuff going on. Yeah, it was a structure. I mean, it at least had a name. <laughs> do yeah. you remember if there was a training back then? Like, do you remember showing up and going to a training or sometime in the off-season? No, no, I don't remember. Really okay. <laughs> that point. Uh, no, I don't remember having to travel anywhere yep. to do anything ahead of time. And that's when people who were more involved than myself really started organizing stuff. And that was, let's see... B18 was not B18 at that point, but he was there. Baker um, 18, was there. Said. Joseph, yeah. Um, but I remember him being involved, and Dog Boy was there. He wasn't really being involved. He was just being Dog Boy. Um, but yeah, like uh, Bear, Big Bear was there, I believe, at that time. And um, some other people that have since moved on. Um, but yeah, I remember that it was because it was so centralized and people could sort of bounce ideas off each other uh, more easily. And I think that's being on that location sort of helped people sort of say, all right, well, uh, what are we going to do when we go back to the main plan? Like, how are we going to, how are we going to do this? Mm-hmm. And I wasn't really, you know, I was just there doing my thing. Like I did, you know, perimeter for the fire and mm-hmm freaking Larry out of it. Um, yeah. Really? Yeah. What happened? <laughs> no way. I don't know, man. He was just, the dancing at that point was right next to the fire. Uh-huh. Right next to it. You know, the fire wasn't as nearly as big as, yeah. as it is now. So people could, without getting, you know, cooked, be very, very, like, on the edge of the embers and stuff. That was like just that. like so, the man sitting on hay bales, right? And the hay bales would get Yeah, prepared. yeah, it, was, it wasn't nearly as, you know, complicated. And so I remember one night, uh, well, when the night of the burn, I was literally standing with one foot in the embers and one foot on the playa pushing people out. Like, I just stood there and <laughs> pushed them as they were twirling around and twirling around me. I'd just be like, get out, get back out, get back out. And it was sort of like a mosh pit. I mean, I been through a lot of mosh pits and stuff so I really was it wasn't I didn't feel scared or anything I was, wasn't overwhelmed but it was like literally my back was like on the on the edge of the fire and I was just pushing people out wow. like, just keep going because like you've got all this long swirly plastic stuff or you know wrapped around you, you get it lined up in there it's not going to be good yeah. <laughs> like they weren't even wearing cotton for god's sake someone wore them someone really worked and I was like holy shit if you if you, get, if you start going up, it's not going to be fun. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> at some fire. point, Larry Larry was standing around the edge of the fire doing Larry stuff, and he grabbed something. I think he grabbed a piece of rebar with his hand. <gasps> Ouch. <laughs> oh, no way. And then I came up to him, or he came up to me, because we didn't have radios at that point. Um, and he came up to me, and he's like, uh, I, I really – burn myself <laughs> oh, <buddy>. okay <laughs> let's get some of your brain to the medical i think we did kind of have a medical tent at that point like i wasn't i was keeping my post at the end of the fire but i remember being like radioing me like um we need somebody to come over here and help a friend yeah. <laughs> oh man so i'm glad you yeah. got to hook up with what he needed 
Well played. Um, I mean, obviously he was fine, but he probably didn't feel very good at the time. Yeah, yeah. So, um, shifting back to Wolf and R and R. So you you think that you guys met when it was out in Wallapai? Maybe when it was that smaller group of rangers trying to think mm-hmm. about or plan towards the future of what it would look like when you went back to Blackrock Desert. Yeah. By yeah. actual. Is either that or just after that? I mean, I, honestly, I would have yeah. to ask him. If you're okay. <laughs> I'll put him on the list. <laughs> but then you guys ended up, I mean, you were the beginning of that team, right? I, I Yeah, I guess we were. I mean, I was, at that point, I was had been a bike messenger in Boston for a year, and I also ridden, you know, when I was in college, like, I commuted to and from school and all around town and to work and everything on a bike, so nice. to me, like, the whole biking in an urban environment or biking in a weird, scary place was like, yeah, that's what I kind of do, so. Yeah, second nature, the um, bike's part he, of you. Yeah, like, he, like, kind of, I think I basically, like, he was like, what? You ride a bike and you have cynical training. Like I want you to help me. <laughs> this is my vision. This is my dream. I'm like okay, sounds good. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's great. He that's... had his own. He had his own camp, and he, you know, he was really into the bikes. And I'm pretty sure he probably had maybe even given me a bike to use or something. I don't know. Because at that point, I was flying. I didn't always. You were still right. coming from Boston. Yeah. Pretty hard to get a bike to the middle of Black Rock Desert from yeah. Boston, especially at that time. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So you're like, all right, <laughs> you got bikes. I know how to operate a bike like a mofo. Let's jump on and do this thing. Yeah. And that was it. Have you always been nocturnal? I mean, both you and at that point, Yeah. Like, yeah. It, 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 I was a night owl for a long time. It only really changed when uh well it sort of changed during my emt days because there was days i usually was like swing or graveyard shift for emt stuff but occasionally um i would do a day shift and then when the person that is before you cannot go home until you get there mm. you learn to get up and be on time in the morning like yeah. it's just it's super important totally. but um mostly the job i took were sort of swing or night. So I mean, graveyard shift in the EMS world is tough because it's just like on the playa. Like you are <laughs> midnight to eight is a long ass time to stay awake. And that four o'clock hump is really hard even when you're used to it. But I, and then I wasn't used to it because I wasn't doing constantly graveyard. I was shifting around. But so long story short, that meant graveyard shift for me weren't weren't alien at all like i'd done them in the default world so yeah yeah and you guys just kind of like self i mean my understanding of our for a while is that it was just kind of self-dispatching like you were monitoring yeah. radio, you had your finger on the pulse of what's going on but you knew the city really well we would be on ship together as rangers and, and you know we just kind of because we were on bikes and because we knew how to navigate pretty well, we would usually end up there first. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we, this was before like quadrants had, were a thing. Like you were either on shift or off. You could like satellite satellite around your own camp if you wanted to. You could go out to the deep Y if you wanted to. I mean, it was pretty, pretty like free form. Um, 
you basically would just go to where there was people. Yeah. And that's really been our strategy for most of the, even when we did have quadrants and so on and so forth. Like it was at first, I like when they, when they introduced that, I was like, kind of cramped my style a little. I was like, but uh, <laughs> I just have to stand here out in the open where nothing is. Like, I don't get that. But so our, our original sort of MO was just a ride around. I mean, we covered the whole we were miles and miles. And it was fun. It was, you know, go to a burn barrel when you get cold, which we did very often. <laughs> um, and Wolf was very resourceful in the sense that he understood that we needed to be fed in order to do this correctly. And we needed to be fed while we were working. And I mean, there were several years where he was very clever and, you know, got a friend of his to agree to be awake and like near a kitchen of some sort. So we can get snacks and everything to keep going because um, it takes a lot to be on the move that much. Totally. You guys, like you said, you're biking miles and miles and miles every single night for pretty, I mean, my understanding is yeah. pretty much work straight through the event, right? And we, there's commissary, yeah, we but they're only open early, <laughs> breakfast, yeah. lunch, dinner. They're not really designed for the, for the grave shift crowd. Yeah, I mean, the, uh, the whole idea of having a commissary, you know, was new to me when they started. I was like, what? Like, this is, this is awesome. I don't have you to can eat in the desert? And open what? a can of beans and <laughs> that's it for the next six hours? Like, this is really cool. Um, and also there was, you know, camps that we would get together and just somebody in camp would be there to help. Uh, but then the commissary happened and I was like, holy cow, like, this, is, this is really amazing <laughs> and you know, because the graveyard shift didn't always match up with i mean we we're still fighting that battle where it's like no we eat at different times and we need food at different times like, yeah. Come on. <laughs> yeah that's still i mean it remains an unsolved problem you know? <laughs> <laughs> maybe i'm wrong in this assumption but my understanding was started off as just kind of two of you guys silent wolf and you and then the team grew a little yeah. bit a little bit to the point where wolf started Oh, we need to have we need to have a camp so people don't bother us during the daytime when we're trying to sleep. We need to have a camp also so that we can so that we can eat and maintain our strength and ability yeah. to do this job. And he would invite like a like you were saying like a guest person. He did a lot to sort of promote our nar as a community, not just a job. Yeah. Um, and so he worked very hard to like bring bikes. I know that because he had all this, he had his business of guiding desert biking and stuff. He had access to some extra bikes and he would, before, you know, before, you know, intercept or any of that stuff, uh, had any equipment, you would bring uh, an extra bike or two. And he recruited people who were really into biking and could bring their own, uh, you know, stuff or maybe a little extra if they could. And also, just um, over the time, like having the camp be the same people as much as possible every year because mm -hmm. um, it helps because you know what to expect. And um, yeah, he did a lot that I did not do um, during the year promoting R&R as, as a, you know, a useful resource. Um, I would just sort of show up and contribute because I was going to school and I was doing this or doing that. Um, I couldn't yeah, you're really going to medical that school, off. right? I mean, yeah. that's this is well, really yeah, like, that big gap was medical school. Yeah, <laughs> becoming a doctor at the <laughs> same time thing. that you're converting <laughs> man, running around on bikes at night, saving people. Yeah, was I mean, it was cool, Sorry. but there were other things to do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I missed it, and it was interesting coming back after that. It was, 
So you sort of different, but sort of the same. It was kind of weird. Right. Yeah. What was that piece of the story? I don't think I have a good picture of it. So you, you came for a while. You took a break when you were doing medical school, right? Like there was definitely yeah. a burning man where I, it was pretty big. There. It was like a five year gap at least. Yeah. Yeah. And the, the event grew in size quite a bit during that time. Cause that was what it was doing. Um, but it was funny to come back because it had been long enough and I had been through enough shit that I was happy to get away from it for a minute. Um, but it was like, I had like a little bit of that newbie feeling again. It was really kind of cool. It was like, Oh my God, this is so great. Oh my God, look at the pretty lights. Oh my God. Look at all the great art. Like all these people are so, you know, there's a little bit of that. Totally. And then, it got and the, but a lot of it was familiar, like familiar place, kind of familiar epic Mm-hmm. Yeah, which it had been sort of distorted somewhat in scale. <laughs> Everything was just bigger <laughs> and had more shiny lights and more speakers and, you know, more LEDs. And, you know, that was new and kind of amazing. But the whole sort of like, let's go out and, you know, be goofy thing was still intact in the way I felt it. And people, I mean, people put, do some really, I mean, even though it's been, you know, commercialized like there's still some really amazing stuff out there may not be the biggest stuff you find but there's still some really cool people out there and that's i believe you know the core is still hanging out they're just not getting as much attention as they used to and that's fine they don't want it Right. Absolutely. <laughs> yes. Here's the shiny, glitzy, glammy stuff. Yeah, like Take go over to Walmart, have a good time. Alone while we go do this really cool. I'm thing. gonna sit here on the porch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> listen to this banjo for a little while, <laughs> or whatever, you know. Yeah. My my first time Burning Man was 2001, and then I was there in 2004. Uh, I went every year, but in 2004 was the first time that I went with Crow, and. Yeah. Um, I want to say either 2004, 2005, we, in the middle of the event, we got a call and saw these like Ellie lights blazing down towards the man base. And um, uh-huh. it was a DPW vehicle that was hauling <laughs> ass, like, I don't know, 40, 50, maybe 60 miles an hour from wherever yeah. radio towards man base with the cops right behind them, coming up right behind them with all the yeah blue and red bubblegum flashers <laughs> what the hell's going on do you remember that night do you remember this event or is it all just one thing I, you showed up on the scene and i was like yeah. oh look it's another ranger yeah there was a more than one of those <laughs> okay yeah <I> that. <laughs> fair enough right this guy uh, this guy was driving this like you know pivotal person in the crew yeah. Dreadlocks yeah. gets out and the cops, you know, doing an alcohol test, of course. Oh, yeah. starts and he's yelling back at him and the guy's girlfriend. We've got kind of all the DPW crew off to the side and she's just losing her mind and screaming at the cops. And and then she was, look, I'm so mad I peed myself. And she really had, <laughs> like, peed all over herself. She's oh, my God. <laughs> And she starts running towards her boyfriend, who's like in handcuffs with the cops. And you just fucking uh, up and tack, you just I must hug tack- her, tackle her. Yes. You're like, you, you don't want to do this. I know yeah. you want to do this, but you can't do this. Don't want to go over there. <laughs> don't, don't go there. That's not good for you or anybody else. And she, I mean, I think you, you know, saved her from going to jail probably like 
super. I hope so. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, no, I played rugby. That was right. sort of, you know, I'm tackling people or physical confrontation didn't really terrify me. Yeah. Um, it was about the only thing left on the escalation ladder at that point. No, no. Like, yeah. And like hearing about, I'm like, yep, I kind of do remember that. Yeah. One of the other ones that I remember is um, there was a, another probably DPW thing going on. And it involved a, uh, a cherry picker. Uh, there was a cherry picker going really fast across the middle of the playa. And uh, Wolf and I were doing something. And uh, so we got to it. And I remember, like, basically the way I figured it out, like, of course, they weren't listening to us or anything. Um, and... Uh, I remember the old, pretty much the only way I got them to slow down enough for them to actually stop and interact with us was I got into the headlights of the cherry picker and started biking in figure eights. <laughs> like enough that they wouldn't hit me, but okay. enough for them to be like, oh, fuck, there's somebody ahead of us and they want me to slow down. And <laughs> uh, Wow. That's scary. <laughs> they did. Like, like really, you want a bike them. versus cherry picker hauling ass. Yeah, yeah. That's so what kind of driver. That's terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, no, that, that I do kind of remember tackling that chick. I mean, uh, there's been a couple times where I've had to, you know, cross that line. You know, yeah. we, now with the same and everything, like, there's this whole thing of, like, where do you cross the line between physical violence and, you know, physical complication. Back in those days, there really wasn't that much of a – to do as much of it to do about it. So like, even though I tackled this chick, nobody was mad at me for interfering in that way. Yeah, not at all. Um, I mean, I think the bottom line is like, if you do what yeah. you need to do to keep someone safe, if it's within yeah. your comfort zone, right, to do that. I also do, yeah, like I was comfortable doing it and I was pretty sure I wasn't gonna hurt her. Right, Because I knew how to do that. But like, I can see how, you know, somebody's not experienced or, or just nervous about that. Would, I mean, I have to hold myself back sometimes. Like, I really just, like, kids that play rugby, I'm like, I'm just going to fucking tackle and bring down and that's going to be the end of it. But, like, I, you know, in more recent years, I've been like, no, can't do that. No, no, no. Continue to engage verbally. <laughs> Use proper body language. <laughs> Uh, Look them in the eye. Yes. Try all the strategies. Try all the Everyone other things. First. Do not resort <laughs> to physical interaction. <laughs> yeah. No, that was yeah. So yeah, those were the days where we were a little more free to uh, maintain control of the situation with our own with our own uh, techniques and yeah. stuff like that. We're using our verbal judo. <laughs> yeah, it's usually the reverse, unfortunately. <laughs> So how did R and R get from you and Wolf to this sizable chunk? Going on for a while. Um, so Loki mm -hmm. and Billy joined fairly early. Billy's not a, not doesn't come anymore, but Loki and Billy joined fairly early on, and they were they were key because they were really good riders and just had just amazing skills and amazing attitude and um, were, were skill part sets of, like in talking to people or skill sets like in writing like skill or, sets and just enthusiasm and strength like talking to people too i mean like they were just rock stars about you know whatever we asked them to do they they had a really good answer for most problems that came along 
school. And um, Farmer also was, was and continues to be a, a really strong member of our sort of core group. And we have, you know, Roz and Fable came along and sort of made it all a little more friendly for me. Yeah, for <laughs> Actually, sure. no, that's not true. Like the guys have always been really cool with me. Yeah, but it's an interesting point, right? Like, you were the only woman for a long time. A long time, yeah. Very core group of guys doing some pretty... Yeah, but I mean, just unusually respect, like, highly respectful guys. Like, not, like, bro-bra. Right, yeah. (laughs) So, they, it didn't, it never bothered me that, I mean, that was kind of like how I am in the default world. I tend to, to, like, as a messenger, you have far more guys around than women, and I was an EMT too, so like I kind of gravitated towards that environment, I guess. So it didn't really strike me as anything different. Yeah. Um, but who you said Fable, who I know, um, and who was the other woman that was on your Raz. Team? Raz, I don't think I met. Raz, her. Uh, Loki's Loki's partner now. Wife. Okay, um, cool. She doesn't really ride with us that much, but she would camp with us. Oh, right on. She rode a little bit, but she was more about like camping, keeping the fire burning kind of stuff for us. Right on. That's great. Yeah. Um, and remember, Foxpaw was with you guys for a little Fox while. Foxpaw, yes. There was. So Foxpaw, and there was. I mean, it's it's hard for me to really name the early ones because I I was away for so long. And sure. It was really different when I got back. So like. Yeah, definitely. For instance, like three PO now and 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 silver, quick silver, and um, Sundancer are pretty instrumental to the crew now, and I they were uh, before my time sort of, or I was before their time and then I left. And then right. they, when I came back, they were there. So. Quicksilver and Wolf were really good friends from Arizona. And I think yes. that's how he ended up there. So maybe that was a, that must've been right around the same time that you yeah. were going off. And to again, he was, stuff he was really, was yeah. And he sort of branched off to his own thing that translates back to what he does in Arizona. And like he had his own crew and he was, you know, one of those, Poor souls who tried to balance, you know, work and, and play. <laughs> like, I not do R&R the entire time. It's really not easy. <laughs> it's really hard to be on the R&R team and not get sucked in. It's a pack. I mean, it's the pack mentality, right? You guys yeah. ride together. You know each other so well. You kind of can predict each other's movements. I've heard you guys use a lot of hand signal stuff to communicate <clears throat> at night because when you're riding fast, there's not a lot of time to stop and have a conversation. So no, no, you end up kind really of part of the tribe. Read the situation, and mm-hmm. oh, there was there was there, I'm I know I'm forgetting some people. I I gotta I'm gonna wake up at three in the morning and be like, oh, but I didn't mention that guy. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I will uh, help pick fill in some of the gaps for you in just a few minutes here, but um. But let's keep talking about how the team operates or how the team worked. It always seemed to me like kind of this black box of amazing stuff happening, communication going on. Didn't really understand it. You guys were out there. Typically things were done by the time we'd send other pairs out to see things because we were so on top of it. So I'm assuming that you're monitoring control one on the radio or whenever radios got to the point where we actually had control one. That that definitely happened before you. Yeah. No, we were constantly on on the radio, like just listening even before they had to split the city and all that kind of stuff or do any of that kind of stuff. Um, so we would monitor um, the radio, but also because we were able to travel fairly efficiently, we would sort of get to know which camps were likely to be, you know, activities. Uh-huh. So you, 
able to get around the city well enough that you could kind of predict where things were going to be happening and yeah i mean you already camps come back year after year and based on what happened last year like okay this is where we got a lot of domestic violence okay this is where we had a lot of you know bike parking issues this is where we had noise complaints um yeah you kind of get a feel for the vibe of the camp and you sort of like oh hey, where are they where are they this year and when you know what's going on what did they did they move which they usually they kind of don't like kind of moves people around when they have to but Uh it's kind of a pain so it's you know and for the people who come back just for a few days each year they love that they're like oh we're at the same address great i know where i'm gonna be yeah well it makes the city a little bit easier to understand for sure when you're not all over the place all the time you can kind of count on camp which you know two and a camp did that on purpose (laughs) (laughs) yeah um, but we would ride around and we would even, you know, when we're on patrol or whether we're not on duty or whether we're on duty or not, like we're always sort of got an eye on, okay, I see that happening. I see that happening. Um, and I mean, there was a lot of times when I saw stuff and I wasn't, you know, on call and I would kind of monitor it and sort of see if it needed interference. Um, usually didn't, but you have those eyes and ears on all the time. Like over over time you just learn, you're like, okay, we're going to be back here tonight. Or we would sort of fill each other in with what we saw the previous shift. Uh We would have our own little, you know, sort of shift meetings. Yeah. Like, oh, so-and-so, this and that new thing. I saw this the other day. We might be back there tonight. Or, you know, um, you kind of get a vibe and you get a vibe for what's happening when. Um, like you can see where the crowds are going, you can see where the art cars are going, you can see if you, you know, log in mentally to the art art camp, whatever schedule you check on. I mean, we would always, we'd always be checking on stuff too, because we wanted to go too. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, what's going on tonight? What's going to be exciting? And sure enough, where things were exciting were usually where things went bad too, because there were just mostly people were there. And but I mean, my 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 sort of thing was also to fill in the gaps, um, like look for the open spaces where people were forgotten, or might be lost, or you know. If, and let's face it, very much. You stand on a broom barrel long enough, like the stuff will come to you. Yeah, <laughs> we all know that. <laughs> Talking about the shit magnet principle. So though. if we just stay still <laughs> around a broom barrel. Oh gosh, we had people come up out of the woodwork all the time, and it was kind of—it's funny because like, I just you know I there it it gets more intense towards the end of the week. Like you see things and you're like, something's gonna happen there, and like sure enough, like like there was this time when I went by this camp and I just looked at stuff and I was like, something's going on over there. I don't know what it is. I don't know what's gonna happen, but like sure enough, like half an hour later, somebody fell off of something. No, I, <laughs> and you just happen to be there already. I know exactly what that is. <laughs> uh, you, get, you do get this little sixth sense that you know what's, so you get a little sort of spider sense. We talk about it all the time. I don't know how you develop it, um, but you do. Well, yeah. yeah, it's interesting to me that you guys were talking about how you um, – pass the information along to from one night to the next or you're kind of it's it's really tracking patterns right and trying to use that to anticipate what's going to happen next it's really similar to the way that the dpw rangers operate too have like a 
know, a couple of them are staying on through the night, however late that saloon or that playa thing's going on. And then the next morning, there's a big debrief, share the information, make sure everyone's got it so that the next person that comes up on that that crew member or that scene or that whatever has the backstory to understand how it's all unfolding. But you're yeah. doing that across a really wide area, lots of big groups of people, you know, over a shorter period of time. Um, it's pretty cool. Yeah. And you can read it when some, like you have a big crowd of people and you can read it when the vibe is good and everybody's cool. And like, they may be high as fuck, but they're having a great time. And then you sort of circulate through there and you can see, there's, you know, pieces of other stuff going on around it. And you just kind of have to read, like, like one of our people was, it was somebody else who was really familiar with the whole dance thing. And he was just like, all you got to do is walk around the edges. The crowd will, like, push out the, the ones that aren't having a good time. They want to gravitate to the edge. They want to get out of the center of attention. So you just go through them and just get your flashlight, dive in for a minute, turn your radio down, dive in for a minute, do a little perimeter check around the dance floor. And if you don't find anybody in, in distress, you're cool. You can move on. But I mean, it's, it's, it's crazy to think of that. There's that many people out there and not more bad yeah. things happen. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. kind of a play miracle. Um, what are the <clears throat> things that you're looking for? Like when you're doing that perimeter circle or you're saying you're looking for someone who's in distress how would you know, or what advice would you give to other rangers that are working on those grave shifts? What are they looking for? Um, a lot of times there's some body language that goes on. Like, for instance, like we always fear like people lying down on quiet open quiet to look at the stars and getting run over. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, it's at the point where like, I really do try to discourage people to do that actively. Um, Cause you know, things do happen, but um if I come across somebody who's on the ground, if they're like, if their body language is like they're, they're curled up and they're wrapped in something warm and their, their, their face looks in at rest and like, you just, you can go up to them. Like, you know, if they're just like splayed out and they're not covered and they're in this really awkward position and they're cold, like that's bad. But if they're like wrapped up and nice and warm, like sometimes I would go around, I just check do a little pulse check and a little breathing, like make sure they're do a chest rise. Like, okay, I see some, like maybe if they're on their side, you have to look at the back of the thorax or whatever, but just do a little, like, are they breathing? Are they warm? Do they have a pulse? Cool. Yep. Don't bother them. Just since we're on radio, wake them up. I'm watching you check yeah. your fingers like, under their nose, wake them touch up. the like, side of their cool. neck. Yeah. Just do this, this, that, so see, like look for you're some touching. Feel. Touching their face, touching their neck, putting your fingers under their nose. That's the kind yeah. of stuff you're looking at. You're yeah. Because cool. I don't want to wake them up if they're happy. Right. And having a great dream or whatever. Like, it might be the first sleep they've had in days. They might yeah. need that sleep. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, I don't want to be like, hey, you all right? <laughs> and they're like, yeah, fuck you. I was just having a really good trip. Yeah. You know, I'm like, oh, sorry, man. Yeah. But if they're, like, out and, you know, if they're, like, all crumpled and alone or obviously and a lot of people in that community understand that too and we'll try to take, you know just sit with somebody if they see somebody having a problem or not having a good time um so yeah you just do a little light interference and if you have a concern just sort of look around and see if there's anybody else who's actually paying attention yeah. and usually there's somebody usually somebody is if there's not then there's a little more concern mm -hmm. 
Um, people self-isolate, believe it or not. <laughs> they, uh, they they piss off all their camp members and disappear for days, and you know they kind of go a little crazy. And that one you got to be a little more concerned about because there may be some underlying things going on. Um, yeah, but doing a little quick check is sort of how I do it, and uh, it's hard to explain, as, like. The body language is just kind of different. Like I've come across people and I'm just kind of like look at them and like they realize they're being looked at and they look up at me and I'm like, it's, I'll just like be like, everything cool? Like I'll just give them a little visual like, are you okay? And they'll be like, yeah, okay. Mm -hmm. You know, we all have these sort of nightmare scenarios that go on in the back of our heads where you know people choking on their own vomit or you know something like that. You know, I've seen some pretty bad seizures too. So <laughs> it's not always fun and yeah. cute. It's like, oh my god! I remember that time. There was, um, I guess it was GHB or something. But Jesus Christ, there was people. Like there was one night where like six people went down in a radius of twenty yards in like forty-five minutes, and we were like, somebody's passing around some medicine, and this is really bad. But I, that was not. That was scary. Yeah, that's terrifying. But when you do that, when you get that situation, um, repositioning is very important. You guys called in for medical support, I thought. Yeah, um, but even people that were there kind of knew you need to reposition. You need to, if like a person is choking and vomiting, you put them in the rescue position. One time, uh, a guy did a really cool trick where he actually sat the person up for a minute and sat them up and then laid them down again and that um, just rearranged stuff enough that he wasn't choking anymore. He, we had him on, then we put him in a rescue position on his side and obviously called for help. <laughs> <laughs> well, Not the final a, answer. It's a lifesaver, <laughs> potentially. The final answer is get to ALS now. Get to medical, yeah. Advanced <laughs> life support, absolutely. Yeah. I've got some names of your, uh, your group there, at least the folks that were involved in running the cadre going back um, after you and Wolf and then Farmer came on and Tiger Eye for a while. Um, yeah. <clears throat> Fable, Rhino. Um, Rhino, yeah, yeah, yeah. Rhino was awesome. Sundancer, Loki, yeah. um, all the way up to, well, Porcupine and now Mammoth is on that group too. Yeah, they're, they're all really fun to, to help have. you not stay awake at three in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> just make sure they're on your radar. <laughs> I know there's a lot more. You guys have a really yeah. amazing team. Porcupine's a bit of a whisperer. It's kind of fun. Like he finds the most interesting things. Yeah, it's cool. Right on East Coast. Um, any other stories from back in the day that you want to share with people or um, helping us understand how we got from way back there to way where we are now? One of our interesting things um, for R and R is we always sort of hear about like being paired up with a partner and that's sort of a, that's a mandatory thing it's a safety issue it's a good thing to have um <laughs> but it is really freaking hard to find like a good partner with r and r because everybody's got their own ideas about what they what how they work and how how everybody should you know whatever if you find yourself with a good partner on r and r you're like that's you know like Loki's really good at working with people. Um, Silent Wolf and I like work together the most 
basically because we've been together for, you know, on my choir for the longest. And it is really like important to have a connection with somebody that you understand what they think is important and what they want to do next. And then, you know, and I just feel like for art art, it's great to have uh, new people, but I think that it's harder to recruit for R and R, not just because of the bike skill thing and the graveyard thing, but it's also the communication thing is yeah. is pretty different with us than with um, somebody say on foot yeah. uh, or somebody who's doing a day shift who's dealing with oh you know a lot of different logistical stuff. It's pretty critical to have a good working relationship with whoever you are. And that's something that we deal with all the time. Like Wolf kind of makes the uh, calls usually on who's going to ride with who, but mm -hmm. checks with people and see if that's okay. It's, it's always funny, like, when you would throw me with somebody different, I'd be like, uh, all right, but, um, uh, okay. <laughs> so, like, I have to sort of manage the whole situation a little differently because I didn't want to step on anybody's toes because I think they were a little bit, uh, you know, sort of intimidated. I'm like, no, really. I'm okay yes. with, with your methodology, and if you and if I'm not, I'll say so. But mm -hmm. different from mine, but you know, I found that um, the sort of leadership style issues were really uh, were really kind of are challenging with our with our cadre, um, and you know, basically for me, you know, and for a lot of people, it's like, no, dude, you got to stay with your partner. <laughs> like, come on now yeah, that's real <laughs> i'm famous for just taking off and yeah. doing my own thing uh and i try not to do that <laughs> and not saying the goddamn thing on the radio like <laughs> <laughs> yeah that too uh, i heard a funny thing oh yeah no I, I, I talked to that guy five minutes ago it's fine yeah check that one off the list <laughs> they're like hilarious. what where are you i'm like I'm somewhere else now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I heard a really so, funny comment about um, about you and Wolf from back in the day, you know, when you're writing, because he's always kind of famous or infamous for just kind of standing around the fire, not saying a lot, and thus silent yeah. Wolf, right? They would say, oh, oh no, he's really chatting. Yeah, they say East Coast makes Wolf <laughs> look really chatty because <laughs> you're always even quieter than that. As you get, as you get to know him, yeah. But yeah, he's he's uh, I don't know, he's such good. a good guy. But I was I was a, I like that comment, right? <laughs> oh, you think he's just standing there quietly? Take a look at her. <laughs> but you guys have uh, so much going on, and so and he and I were together. It's hilarious because he'll find something and he'll just stand there and look at me, and I'll be like, okay, and then I'll I'll have to go up and see what's going on because he doesn't want to deal with. It. <laughs> he's like, you go talk to that person. Okay. Um, and usually it's, I mean, talking to somebody is about what's going on is really hard. And that's, I mean, some people, there are people who are way better at it than I am. Like, I'm not, I'm somewhere in the middle when it comes to patience. There's, there's people who are definitely better at the empathy thing and the listening thing than I am. Um, earlier, in the, you know, I got sort of adopted on, onto the green dot stuff because I did do a lot of that. Um, and still I'm willing to do so, but I am so grateful for Black Swan. <laughs> <laughs> I think you and a million more of us can agree to that yeah. statement wholeheartedly. Absolutely. She's amazing. Um, no, we had, uh, we had some good times. We had like the, um, 
God, what we, 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 the, the Canadian boys, Loki and, and Billy, that had the, the, uh, we had the teeter totter of death and we had all these other little bike challenges that we would do around, around the city sometimes. It was like, cause riding a bike is the best way to get around. And like, if you're expect, you know, also if you're like a mountain bike rider or a BMX rider or something, there's all these fun little challenges that you can do. And it's, um, just like having, what kinds of things or what, what is, I'm not familiar with the teeter totter. So the teeter totter of death is a board that is a seesaw. Basically it's on a log the big long board on, on a seesaw. And we've been sort of designing like various configurations of a shorter, steeper one versus a longer one, but it's not very wide. And basically you just have to ride your bike across it. <laughs> First you go up and then you get to the, the level, the, the fulcrum and the, and the board becomes flat and then you have to just right, keep on going riding back down it and not fall off <laughs> and it's not that hard to do but it's, it's <laughs> it says you kind of precarious you're like whoa yeah, um, let's and not then, talk to the kids about that one yeah well there and last year i think it was or the last year i went uh there's some there's some camps that have these like cool little courses around around the way and that that's been yeah. a recent development but there's one uh, there was one on the esplanade that had that yeah. kind of like wavy mm -hmm. roundabout side oh, yeah. I mean, that, that place lot. had so many medical calls you would not even believe we <laughs> talked about it we had to close it down because <laughs> safety reasons oh, we oh, terrible. it was fun uh -huh. uh, and i've never seen somebody do r and r on a circus bike but that would be a really good trick oh yeah <laughs> Right. Double decker Ranger universe. Gauntlet has been thrown. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I mean, over the years, it's been pretty intense. Like, we've had to deal with some pretty belligerent people and some pretty serious calls, like, not just by ourselves. I mean, a lot of times we're, I mean, you know, who responded to the, the uh, death under the current, under the trailer? That was okay. us. If you don't have it to handle some pretty serious medical calls it's not for you uh yeah, and i i won't go into it but i've seen some pretty serious injuries just because we're the first ones there and uh it's hard so you have to keep that in mind if you i mean it's a great crew to be on it's great camaraderie it's you know it's it's fun we are fortunate in that we get a little bit more leeway than you know, some other crews to travel and to, um, we're a little bit more free range. Yeah. <laughs> we, can, we can pend in a little bit, but not maybe as much as some other people, uh, which I really appreciate and enjoy. Um, but it's, it's not easy. I mean, I, I really do think that one, our job is pretty tough. I mean, every ranger's job is tough, but staying up all night and dealing with really belligerent uh, people and dangerous, some of them. We have had we've had to deal with uh, situations where we're like, oh fuck, uh, no, we need Ellie on this one, um, and you know, also later in the week we be the first on for some domestic violence stuff, and so that's the other reality of our nerves. As the week gets later, our calls get more serious, and it's more intense, and it's like every ranger knows this is how when people. Um, you know, when there's more people around, you have more work. But um, our crew, in particular, has to maintain uh, a pace that we can sustain for the entire week. Mm -hmm. um, people are now then, like, you know, we, we burn out. I feel like, you know, if we burn out, then we let everybody else down. And so, 
we don't, I mean, honestly, we don't party much. Yeah. <laughs> like, we, we, we don't. We're kind of boring crowd. We, we sleep during the day. We, we, we don't get all crazy. Um, our, our, um, our sort of, we're, we're sort of a work ethic kind of camp. We're not as bad as Moscow. <laughs> we have our fun <laughs> and you know yeah, we enjoy no, there's not like days. a night on the playa where there's no R&R happening I mean you guys don't yeah. take nights off and it's such a well, small we, team that's a comfortable we take one night off one night off okay early in the week and that's sort of just so that we can enjoy the city and not have to worry about shit but of course we do anyway yeah, I was going to say night off, but take your radio. You can't really. Like, some people do take night off, but some don't. Yeah, right. Important. <laughs> <laughs> I think you've been doing an amazing job painting the picture. It's really interesting talking with you. Well, it was great. It was great talking to you. Yeah, you too. <laughs> take care out there. <laughs> Thanks for doing good work. <laughs> yeah, miss you too. See you soon. Okay. Bye. Bye-bye. There you have it. Keeper and East Coast talking R&R, talking back in the day, drive-by shooting range, etc. Hope you enjoyed it. We'll be back next week. Have a good time. <laughs>